Hello, and welcome to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. This week's episode is about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and I'm really excited to be joined by my old friend, Adam Schick. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm happy to have an outlet to talk about my, uh, my obsession as well that most people, including my girlfriend, uh, don't really want to hear me talk about all the time. So, no, and, nice. I, and I'm really excited to have you on here because I saw you around uh, back when we were both in Gainesville a little bit when I started the movie podcast, and I never quite re- we never quite reached out and got you on the podcast. But it means a lot to me because I, I actually think you're the first person I ever did live radio with, if I remember correctly. So it's kind of funny that like basically like seven years later, now I'm sitting here doing you with this, doing this with you. So that's pretty exciting, and I've always respected your pop culture opinions uh, whenever we've talked about them. And, uh, <laughs> and I know, you. and I know you're like a and you're, and you're like a celebrator of like popular culture in general. And like you're, you, you'll you'll go and see like some of the most popular artists whenever they play, whether it be a music thing or all the big movies. I'm always I always see your thoughts about it. So I'm excited to actually finally talk about something with you a little more in depth. Um, Jurassic Park's like a kind of a big deal, and it the, that last movie a few years ago, the first reboot, made a ton of money, and it's an interesting because I think people's relationships with the franchise differ a little bit. Do you have like a long relationship with these movies? Are you like a big fan of the original trilogy, or where do you kind of stand on that? And what were your thoughts like when it got rebooted, and what what are your thoughts as it kind of stands now? So I remember the original. I can't remember the first time I saw the original, but I remember because I was five when it came out. And I remember thinking it was the scariest thing ever just <laughs> by seeing trailers and posters. I remember it being a thing that I don't even think my mom would let me see it because I was, Jeez. I was too young. And it was, it, you know, at the time it was obviously like it was the big thing, but I was too young for it. So I can't remember when I saw the original for the first time, but I do remember seeing The Lost World and hating it. <laughs> I think I've only seen The Lost World one time. And maybe I should rewatch it and give it another shot, but should I, or is it is it actually terrible? Well, the thing is, I, I watched it when I was little, and I couldn't before I ever like thought about movies in a critical way. And as I was preparing for this podcast, I had a limited amount of time, and I just didn't care enough to go and uh, to go in and, re- and rewatch that one or the or the third one, whatever that one's called. I'm not even. Remembering I've seen yeah, Jurassic World three. I've seen Jurassic World three a good number. That's of what times. it's called. That gets a lot. That, yeah, that gets a lot of like FX reruns, or at least it did uh, a few years. F- FX is where I, wa- I rewatched uh, Jurassic World the other day on FX, but I, I I think that was on too. The third one was on, and I just couldn't make it. So I don't have much of a relationship with the with the second and third movies. I I rewatched Jurassic Park yesterday, and I rewatched Jurassic World two days ago, and I saw fallen kingdom three days ago. So I, those are kind of fresh in my head. I could not tell <laughs> you the first thing about the, the movies two and three. I don't know. So that's where I'm at I, with these r- things. Here's the thing with three. The thing with three was like it was instantly kind of scoffed at because Spielberg wasn't involved. You know, Spielberg Spielberg was just an EP, which okay. I mean, Spielberg's that, an EP on Transformers. That says all you need to know. Like, well, it means nothing. Well, that's what he is with these movies too, the new ones. Right, exactly. So it's like it wasn't Spielberg anymore. And it, you know, I think I'm pretty sure Joe. I'm pretty sure Joe Johnson. Joe Johnston. Is it Joe Johnston or Joe Johnston? I think it's Joe Johnston. Johnston. Yep. Yeah, Joe Johnston directed Thurwin. It was like they didn't get anyone back. Sam Neill didn't come back. Laura Dern didn't come back. I don't even know if Goldblum is in it. It was like it was it was like the Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas. It was just I don't know what the purpose of it was. Very good movie, by the way. Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> um, so I you know, I kind of I, I didn't think there was anywhere else for the franchise to go after Jurassic Park three. 
because they had really just played out the same idea. If people go to the island, things go poorly, they try to escape, et cetera, et cetera. But I, you know, I really like Jurassic World because of how much it fully realized the idea of what the park would look like. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, and, and like Universal loved it because in a true, in a true sign of the synergy of it, not only could they show like what Jurassic World would look like if it were a real theme park, but then they could go actually do all the tie-ins of like, you know, there's a Dave and Buster's there. They could go sell that to Dave and Buster's and they could have all the restaurants they had, you know, they had like, they're able to go there and it's all product placement, but that's what it would actually look like. So I thought the first half of Jurassic World, when it actually is showing the fully realized John Hammond's vision, yeah. that to me is the best part of the entire series because it's the only one that actually gets at what the original was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I really, I, a lot of people really did not like that movie too. And a lot of people don't like Fallen Kingdom either. I think they're, they're both fairly divisive. But I, mean, I had a lot of fun at Jurassic World and I th- that was probably the coolest part. I don't know. There's only so much you can actually show. But like I, like I said, I just rewatched it a couple of days ago. And there are like a lot of little details that I forgot like just things that I, I kind of just wanted to like hang out in that moment at times, like seeing like the, their equivalent of a petting zoo, like things like right, that, or like exactly. r- like little details like that were like super fun, and I just enjoy getting to see that kind of thing. And you made that comment about the first half, so I'm guessing maybe you didn't have this uh, positive of feelings about the second half. And if so, what what did that lead your expectations for Fallen Kingdom to be? I don't know. It's not that I didn't like the second half of Jurassic World. Just to me, it just devolved into what I guess a lot of people go to these movies for, which is to see people running scared from dinosaurs, which I guess getting eaten by them. Right. Getting eaten (laughs) by dinosaurs in spectacular ways. And and I guess trying to make the Jurassic Park franchise something more than that is maybe a fool's errand anyway. And I've seen a lot of pieces uh, in the last week that have attempted to do that. But I will say as far as seeing, you know, deaths and people eaten by dinosaurs, the fall, the best thing about fallen kingdom, spectacular death scenes, uh, <laughs> for both humans and dinosaurs alike. Uh, are we allowed to spoil the movie on here? Or can we not spoil it? Yeah, this movie's probably going to make like a billion dollars. We, we sometimes, I, I sometimes do spoiler sections when it's a smaller movie that I'm trying to like give a recommendation on. But you're, if someone's listening to this, they've probably seen it, so we're going to do spoilers throughout. All right. Well, spoiler alert: the way that the Indoraptor dies is phenomenal. Like, the fact that the Indoraptor dies by being impaled on, I believe, the skull of a Triceratops. <laughs> is like it's the most creative way that a fake animal has ever been killed in a movie. But having said that, huh. if that's the best thing I can say about Fallen Kingdom, then I don't know how much that speaks to, <laughs> to its merits as a movie. Okay, so it sounds like you are you might actually be a little more down on the movie than I am. I And I think I liked a lot of the same things about Jurassic World that you did, but I was at the point where I'm like, First of all, my biggest thing was I don't know how they can justify going back to that island for any length of time. Like right, I just don't exactly. know. I don't know if there is two hours of content to be had that are like – I mean obviously there's suspension of disbelief when you're watching a dinosaur movie to begin with. But like I just don't right. know if I can buy these people going back to that island for that long. So first of all, I was excited just that they were going to give it a new setting, and and I was happy about that and just to – see that be the case but i think there was a little for for me watch i felt like jurassic world also while yes you had john hammond's vision realized there are a lot of other points where that movie hits a lot of the same beats as the original and sure i so i think to a certain extent for someone like me who 
was not I did not have as deep a relationship with the original trilogy when I saw Jurassic World. Like I might have been kind of excited about that, but then I refamiliarized myself with it. And I think it almost might have been more of like a Star Wars Force Awakens type thing where it's like yeah. a lot of people like respected what the uh, Jurassic World pulled off, but they're like hey, in some ways this is a little similar and it's doing a lot of the same things. I want to see it do something different. And obviously, like, Last Jedi was very divisive, but, like, it kind of – it wasn't just, like, a beat-for-beat beat type of thing right. following the second Star Wars movie. And I think – I kind of respect that, like, we get, like, a whole different setting, which I think gives this movie a whole other feel, just, like, putting it in a house, first of all. Second of all, I, I can't really remember the second and thirds that much, but the second and third movies that well, but between – Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, and this one, this is the one that's most directly making the humans the bad guys, which I think is yeah. also like an, an, an interesting spin, even if I don't know if it totally makes a lot of sense that these guys are like trying to buy these dino- dinosaurs for weapons. And if you think about it too hard, I don't know if that logic totally holds that like what they're exactly doing here. But like I still thought it was a little interesting that like it kind of spun things around a little bit and made the dinosaurs even more sympathetic than they had previously been. So I enjoyed thinking about those things, even if I also do have some reservations about the general writing, the quality of the writing of the movie, but also the fact that I still think the dinosaurs might actually be more compelling characters than any of the humans in the movie at the same time. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at, where like I, I liked a lot of the things that it did while I can still recognize some of its faults. Yeah. Well, and to your point, too, about the kind of the reception for Jurassic World relative to this, and if you think about it, too— it's really similar to the Star Wars, if, if you look at the box office comparison, where mm-hmm. Force Awakens did record numbers because there was such pent-up demand and anticipation for the return of the franchise. And then after that, it was sort of, a, okay, we wanted it really badly, then we got it. Maybe it's not what we wanted. And then you saw after that the uh, the realization that maybe maybe this can't be everything we thought it would be and that we projected onto it. Mm-hmm. Which Here's an example of that. So... Last night I watched the reboot of Double Dare, right? I was really excited. I was like, Double Dare's back. And I watched it, and I was like, wait, this is kind of terrible. Was it also terrible when I was a kid? But I wanted to think that it was better because that was my childhood. That's sort of the way, like, that's, I mean, that's when I went back and watched Jumanji, when the Jumanji reboot came out. A lot of things we see when we're younger, we project onto them qualities that aren't there. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what happened. The phenomenon with Jurassic World, also with Force Awakens, is the idea that this movie, this reboot, can be so much more because it can build exponentially on this nostalgia that we feel, but it's limited by what it is. Mm-hmm. And I read this, I read an interesting article today in The Hollywood Reporter, is basically saying the difference between a Star Wars and a Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. Are we going to call it Jurassic World or Jurassic Park for the sake of franchise? Oh, for the franchise, call it Jurassic Park, but if you just the Jurassic do it Jurassic Park a... franchise. All right, so Star yeah. Wars versus Jurassic Park. Star Wars, it can go in so many different directions because it's such a vast universe, and there's endless possibilities and different characters and species, and, and you name it. You know, I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but you know, you get the point. You're, yeah. you're in yeah, a whole for galaxy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. At the core of Jurassic Park as a franchise, it's about dinosaurs that are genetically recreated and put into our world and what happens. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things you can do with that. You can do how would they interact with humans, and we can ask questions about playing God, and we can ask questions about in what other ways could this lead to our downfall. But beyond that and the musings of Jeff Goldblum – 
where can that go? Right. So well, that's what this article basically said. There have been five Jurassic Park movies and they all essentially do the same thing because what else can they do? In this movie, they attempted to try and bring up this random idea of, oh, well, oh, there was, is, is human cloning wrong? And that was like that to me, that was like the worst part of the movie because that was such a giant reveal that they just threw in there, I think, so they could justify her idiotically hitting the red button because she related <laughs> to them. But what a huge, what a huge thing to just drop in there. Like, oh, by the way, this girl is a human clone of Lockwood's daughter. So they can throw that in there, but the problem is, and this is, I'm, 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 uh, I'm taking this from this article. This is not an original thought. Yeah. Um, when you're, then you're getting into human cloning and you're asking questions about that. That's just any sci-fi movie. That's not Jurassic Park, right? So you're not you're so limited by the dinosaurs and their story and how they interact with humans. I just don't know how it can be anything more than that, which limits their ability to to make this franchise interesting as they keep pumping out these movies. Yeah, and they're going to keep making the movies as long as they make a billion dollars. But I think the point you made is is important because I don't think I I think actually think I'm pretty excited for the sixth one because of what you said. I actually think the I actually don't know if this movie did a whole lot different than the other ones that I'm. Like I've said, I've watched recently. Like it's, it's it's still a lot of the playing God stuff. It's a lot. Of, it's a bit of a commentary on capitalism and that like the the Rafe Spall, the, the the bad guy in this one, still kind of calling them out on. It. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to make money, but how is that any differently than what you're doing? And it was kind of interesting how he turned the, <laughs> right. he turned that on the Bryce Dallas character, her, Dallas Howard character. When you remember, especially what she was like in Jurassic World, it's like, oh right. yeah, like where where do you draw that line? Like where is it actually turned into something that's like morally wrong and but it's still a lot of it's still about playing god because it's like what do we what do we do with these dinosaurs now that this volcano is about to explode you have ian malcolm and jeff goldblum at the beginning saying a lot of the same things he did back at the very beginning of the first movie where he's like don't we shouldn't be playing god at all we shouldn't have even done this but mm-hmm. like you said they did that for five movies the only other thing you can do is are they going to interact with humans and that's what the next one's going to be about and i hope the next one is kind of like if what happened? Did you are, did you watch the Planet of the Apes movies? The, the yeah, and that's that's I, a great example. I, I also read some saying that this could they could take it that direction. Well, I think it should be that, that I think, was done so well. Well, I well I love those movies. I think they're really good. I I like the second one the most, but I think what it, it does the, between the first and the second, it does skip over like a ton of things that had to have happened in the interim. And what I hope the next Jurassic Park movie, I hope it's not like an apocalypse movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like it's the, the second and third apes movies are kind of post-apocalyptic in the way that those societies are being run. I want to see like what I want to see their their version of what would have happened between movies one and two of the apes movies and how like society is actually like when it's still kind of functioning, but then they're having to actually deal with dinosaurs at the same time as opposed to picking up when society is already like go, had a total downfall because of the dinosaurs and right, i'm kind but, of ex- i'm excited to kind of watch that movie then but is that where they're going to take because remember the reason that they did that with planet of the apes is because they, it was a prequel series leading up to the idea that it is a planet of apes how did it get there so it is jurassic world heading toward is the jurassic park franchise trying to head toward a future where the dinosaurs have taken over again. Because if it hasn't, if it isn't going that direction, then I don't know what you do with the next movie because, well, I mean, what are the humans going to do with dinosaurs roaming free through California except die and be trampled? So I, 
Well, like where I don't, I don't, I can't picture in my head. Like it's cool that and I actually missed the, uh, I missed the post credit. I didn't know there was a post credit. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I, about I, it. I didn't know that until like ten minutes before we got on Skype together. I, I was like, oh wow, no one told me that. Right, so there was a post credits, and the idea, like, oh, it's like that's really cool. There are pterodactyls on top of the Paris Hotel the, in Vegas. The Paris Hotel in Vegas. But like, where does that go? Good that's buffet, good buff, good buffet with. there. By the way, I ate at a buffet there at a bachelor <laughs> party like five years ago. Very solid buffet. Have but, never, have never been to the buffet there, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I mean, like we said, they're going to keep making these movies, and if that's the logical endpoint, that's the logical endpoint. I just think it's going to feel a little too familiar if they go straight to like once we've the humans have already lost. I'd like to at least mm. see how they lose, and it would feel like a little different for me. Other, and I think it might feel a little too much like the apes thing, if not. Also, dinosaurs, for the most part, I think don't have like the best opposable thumbs. So I think like <laughs> a, I think a re- I think a really smart, a really, some really smart dinosaurs might have trouble like taking over in the same way that apes theoretically could. I don't know. Um, though they could, like you said, they could just trample on everything, and it doesn't matter. Like I don't know. We'll see. But. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it does make me a little more excited because if like if we hadn't gotten, I mean, yes, it was really stupid that she pushed the button. But like if she if she hadn't, then I don't. Then th- yeah, those dinosaurs would have died. There still would have been some dinosaurs out there. But I don't know. It, it sets it up to be like more interesting than just about any other thing they could have done, in my opinion. So what's what's confusing about it to me, and I keep going back to, I don't know. I was just I was so put off by the reveal about the girl being the clone. Because it was such an underdeveloped part of the oh, story, for sure, so for sure, critical to what happened. I even, like I didn't even understand until I think it was the day after I was on Wikipedia. Like with the tone of that movie. Well, does she know she's a clone? I, I don't know. So maybe it was so yeah, it was it's so ambiguous. underdeveloped yeah. and underexplored. But my thing is, the only reason I figured out exactly what she was was because I went and I read about it and I figured it out. But the rest of the movie is a, a big dumb action movie. And then this one weird section of it is like Westworld, where I have to go read about it to figure out what I saw. <laughs> so I just, it was just, just so tonally inconsistent to me to have that. It's literally like they said, and I hate it when movies do this, but I guess a lot of these, a lot of these big tentpole movies do because they just have to connect their set pieces in some way. And the way they did it is okay. Someone's got to hit the button, but we can't have Bryce Dallas Howard do it. Because ultimately she knows too many of the consequences, uh, so we have to have someone else do it. What about what if like the little girl do it? Wait, but why would she do it? Oh, let's say because maybe she's also a clone. Yeah, throw that in the script. Like it just felt like a thing that they reverse engineered to justify what's going to be the future of the franchise, but they didn't get there in an honest way at all. That's what really bothered me about it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like you said, if it was very shoehorned in. And like I guess they did drop some hints about it because they kept like like it's like you said you're kind of having to go backwards and look about it but they keep hinting at it with that picture that's in that book and like they keep focusing on that periodically throughout the movie right. like showing the top of that picture and it's like why why do they keep doing that so it's like they're trying to set it up and they're like trying to be like way too cute about it at the same time and yeah like if they're gonna try and like make this some kind of like this kind of moral pondering on on like the all of the same cloning debates, like you said, that's not something that you really go to Jurassic Park movies for. Like you can get that in so many other types of science fiction that it's just it feels somewhat inessential and not really what we're there for. And like I'm there for more than I would say I'm happy to be there for more than just like the eating of people and stomping on people, like we discussed earlier. But uh, uh, I just don't know if that's where I want it to go. Well, I'd like for it to be more. I think it, it again 
I think when it was first, I mean, if you've read the book and I've read a long time ago, like Michael Crichton was interested in much bigger ideas. I think Spielberg was interested in bigger ideas. And then like Jurassic World three, just I mean, Jurassic Park three just took it off the ledge in terms of, Oh, we're going to be a big dumb summer popcorn movie without anything to think about. And I, I want it to be more. I think that you can balance those and you can be more. I, I think infinity Ward is a pretty good job of being about more while still having these big action set pieces. Mm-hmm. But you've also got to give me, you got to, you got to work with me a little bit here because I just really struggle with how many giant holes there are in that movie. And then it tries to, at, at a point also be really contemplative. Like, Fundamentally, just think about the fact that they built basically an indoor zoo for dinosaurs right underneath this mansion. And the guy who lives there, old and senile as he may be, like never noticed. Think, I, I read this out so much. Think about the amount of construction crews and time and resources it would take. <laughs> to build that underground labyrinth where they kept these di- where they were preparing to keep these dinosaurs and Lockwood j- had no idea like and, that seems and, ridiculous. Well, and it also was I mean I get who knows how many uh, feet below sea level the thing or not sea level how many feet below ground the thing was but it wasn't like those dinosaurs that they shipped in from Isle du Bois were the first ones there as they show the Indoraptor is like there well before all the other just thing. hanging out there. Yeah, so he didn't, <laughs> and I'm sure that thing isn't just being totally quiet at all times. Also, um, right, and he and he and he still somehow doesn't know. Um, what it, what we, we I guess we didn't even really like talk about the the movie that much yet up until like it even gets <laughs> to that point where it's did, there. Did we not? Like, did you have any thoughts on like the first part on the island or anything about that? Does anything really stick with you with regards to any of that? It just it, it again it, it felt kind of derivative. It was you know the park was in ruins and it was it was all the same beats. People running scared. People you know you're in a. I, I thought that the stuff with the with the, the gyrosphere was interesting, just because that it was such a cool concept that they came up with in the first movie for how it was utilized as part of a ride. And then again you know the corporate synergy that Jimmy Fallon was the the narrator of the ride when you were inside the, the gyrosphere. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. That set piece I thought was impressive. Um, and I thought they did a really good job actually. And there's been a lot of attention paid to this of making the dinosaurs really, really sympathetic characters, like watching the brontosaurus die oh, God. is something that a lot of people have reacted like, to. It. Like, like everyone said, that's super manipulative, but like it's, it works so well, you know what I mean? No, but yeah, but, but it worked. Um, I thought, you know, it had a very, again, with the, the military types on the island calling the shots. Everyone's got different motives. It felt very derivative. It, it's and as I'm saying it, it sounds a lot like something I feel like I just watched recently. I can't think of exactly what it is, um, probably because it's like a lot of different things that use that same concept. I mean, it's actually it's kind of like Westworld, which I was just watching. Um, yeah. Military guy so goes rogue, and yeah, military guys are on different page and they have ulterior motives. It just my problem with it's with the island with the stuff in the house it ultimately did not bring that much new to the table. And what frustrates me is that it didn't bring anything new to the table. And I don't think it cares about bringing anything new to the table because it's part of the machine that says we just need to make a billion dollars and sell toys and make another movie and make another billion dollars. And it didn't seem to have much more 
reason for being besides that. Yeah, I, I almost can't even remember most of what like, happened on the island in this one now, aside from like Owen goes to track down Blue. They they sedate him and they take Blue and they take the other the girl that somehow has never met a dinosaur but is able to be a dinosaur veterinarian at the same time. She <laughs> uh, she, she they, they, they take her to take care of it and then somehow they uh, they drive the truck back onto the back of the ship and jump it and that's like really all that I can remember that happened and so I guess that tells you like how much about what it did and I remember the brontosaurus and like that's like a really cool moment and it's nice that it takes it takes the time to have that kind of moment because I. Like there are these like moments of like real emotion that and and I don't even know if I want to say nostalgia because I don't even know if that really um, I don't know if that really beckons to anything that happened in the past but it felt like its own thing where like you said they make the dinosaurs feel really sympathetic and that's like a very human moment and so that that's certainly going to stick with me when I think about this movie it's just kind of funny that it's like stuck in there in the middle of like so much other like extreme dumb shit <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah i i just i feel like these movies and, and it seems like this is a real issue with a couple franchises specifically jurassic park franchise and with the star wars franchise it's that they're stuck in this in this mind between should we move forward or should we call back to the past should oh, we be doing something new, or should we be about nostalgia? And Star Wars is and, like really stuck in it now. You know what I mean? No, they're, they're yeah, they're and then and they the whole cancellation then, thing they just had to do, or the stoppage of all those other movies. Right, and then because their issue is they tried to play too much on nostalgia, and then people said, "Oh wait, this isn't working anymore." And I was like, "Well, wait, we just tried to do something new and innovative with Last Jedi, and you guys hated that, so they don't know what people want right now." I think with Jurassic Park, with the franchise, may, maybe I want a little more nostalgia in different ways. Like I actually thought I didn't hear enough of the original score in this movie. Oh God. And maybe, I'm, good. maybe I'm partial to it. Yeah. Cause I actually went to the, they had the, uh, the Atlanta symphony did, they've done a series lately where they've had movies with the live score being played by the, by the Atlanta symphony. So I went to see Jurassic park, the original with the symphony playing the score. And it just reminded me what a great John Williams score that is among many. And I don't think that Did, they really called back to it until hey, the very – I think it may have been the last scene of, of Fallen Kingdom that they called back to it. I was like, oh, I've been missing. I, I needed that yeah. cue. One of, the, one, of the, one of the more moving moments in Jurassic World for me was when the kids stumble upon the old – the original uh, museum and then the old score yeah. kicks in. Like that moment almost sticks with me more than any other moment from uh, Jurassic World. And you, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you saw. I tweeted about this last night where I was like – I was just like looking at John Williams' IMDb. Do you know he got an f- Oscar nomination for scoring Home Alone, but not for scoring Jurassic Park? Which is insane. That is, it's that like, is a crime. Although the Home Alone, I can't argue against the Home Alone score, but Jurassic Park is iconic. It's just so weird. It's like I, I, I watched Jurassic Park again last night, and I, I literally – I was at work today like trying to do lawyer things, and then this, this score just <laughs> like, kept coming into my head. It's like you, there's so many cool ways they've utilized it in the other movies where it's like they're – it's with just different instrumentals and stuff like that. It's like I, I agree. You just add that into something anywhere in Fallen Kingdom, and it immediately makes any moment more weighty. You know, but you and you can add more of that, and that's your nostalgia piece. And you can do more interesting things visually and with the story that yeah. move you forward, and that's sort of your anchor to the past. Mm-hmm. But instead, we get a lot of the same repetitive dinosaur chasing person into a corner, dinosaur attacking confined space. But I, I say that, and this is maybe maybe this is the issue, and, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm talking myself into a circle. 
But I don't know that Jurassic Park as a franchise can be more than that. Maybe that's the problem is that fundamentally it's a dog that can only do so many tricks and we shouldn't expect it to do more than that. I thought there were a couple other cool moments though. Like even if it is a lot of chasing them around, like you said, the one where the Indoraptor does kill the military guy, uh, that was like a really fun sequence where you, where you see him smiling while he, when he, when he thinks that he has him sedated. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, when, he's, when he's inside the cage. Like it's kind of weird. Cause like you're, you're going to be cheering against this Raptor in a few minutes, but like it puts you on its side for a few minutes and that's like a really fun sequence and something that feels a little different because like while blue is smart, we haven't seen a dinosaur previously been, be smart quite in that way. I guess it was really smart in Jurassic world where the, where the, um, Shit, now I'm already forgetting the the Indominus Rex does the fake scratch claw and then goes off yeah, the radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess there's that's another example of him being smart in a different way. But I like seeing the Indoraptor uh, kill the military guy that way. And some of the stuff like just on the rooftops, I mean, that's just a different visual than you're going to get in any of the other ones where they're just running around on the island. So this is the house setting, as ridiculous as it was that Lockwood didn't know they were building a dinosaur zoo below his house, I did provide for a few cool visual moments, even if largely it is still people running from dinosaurs. But I'm also trying for like Rafe Spall's character, Eli Mills. Yeah. I get that he's, he's this ambitious guy that he hired to be to like manage, manage his state. trust yeah but he went i mean just think about it he hires this guy this guy goes from managing the trust of a uh billionaire philanthropist to he he smothered him under a pillow and killed the guy and is selling and selling uh weapons to in theory like the worst people in the world. Yeah. yeah, it's a crazy. I mean, yeah, again, even by again, by like big yeah, cartoonish villain standards. Like I'm just with, 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 the, with this movie and the, just the motivations and these characters. I, it's just kind of a mess, right? Yeah, and even it's fun. Like, yeah. it's, I'm not saying like, this is a fun movie. I had fun, but if you go anywhere even close to beneath the surface of this, it's ridiculous on so many levels. Yeah, and even as a. Um, even as a, uh, like I said earlier, you got to suspend disbelief when it involves dinosaurs, but even being in that ridiculous universe in which dinosaurs exist, I do still want my villains to be probably a little more grounded than being someone that would just sm- smother an old man. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, there is certainly a middle ground there that they can strike. Even I, Thanos I, wouldn't do that, I don't think. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe let's, Thanos let, would. Let's not go there, but like I'd say that Thanos had more human moments than, uh, than Rafe Spall did, which is saying, yes, which yes, is, which, which is saying something. Um, that's fair. where that guy that's was just like, literally just like a psychopath like Thanos at least showed some like empathy and real human emotion which right. this guy certainly doesn't do uh, no yeah well I don't know did, did you have any other points you wanted to make on the movie as a larger context before I get to our uh, movie going experiences this isn't this isn't like larger context but also like what what is what is BD Wong doing in this movie I think he is I don't maybe it's just because I think of him from Law and Order SVU where he was a very cool and sane voice of reason as, as a, uh, a psychologist. But in, since Jurassic World, he's been, I think he, he's, he's way over the top for me. I thought his performance was just so, he, there's certain people that can get away with chewing massive amounts of scenery. Um, he's not someone who could do that well. So I felt like his performance for me really took me out because again well, he, he's he's a he's a scientist like why is this scientist who helped start jurassic park and in the original movie he was like you know just a very 
well-intentioned scientist is now he's part of this military industrial complex trying to sell weapons to evil dictator like what i just felt like he was way out in left field even more so than in jurassic world he does not work as a villain and he's trying so hard to be a villain and it just did not work at all for well, well that's what i was gonna say because i rewatched jurassic park last night and he's obviously in How that, is that the same guy I yeah exactly it's like he's just there like he doesn't do a ton in jurassic park he's like oh yeah we made sure they're all female and uh we we take we took out this one uh we took out this one chromosome and that's just kind of how i did my job that's how i made them and that's it. Like he, he's totally like I don't want to say he's like harmless because he created di- he created these dinosaurs that do that kill people. But like he just he's just a guy like hey I did my I did my science thing and that's it. Right. Like he's totally inoffensive for the most part. And now like we we don't see him between is he in two or three? I don't even know. Like, you, you, no, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, I think so it's he like, came. He so just, he comes back he came for Jurassic back World just for Jurassic World. And, and then, then he's suddenly. Like, Suddenly, we're selling him as as the villain, which yeah, is really which bizarre. It's just like you, you haven't seen him for so long. It's like I don't know if I totally buy it because, like, what else does anyone know B.D. Wong from aside from uh, SVU? And he, I, I didn't watch. I stopped watching Mr. Robot after season two, but he like is in that in, in a little bit, and he actually does play somewhat of a villain, I think, in Mr. Robot. But for the most part, it's like hard to just all of a sudden see this character that you've known as one thing for so long all of a sudden like he's, be the big bad. He's also he's actually also in, I don't know if you I don't know if anyone watched I watch Gotham, oh, yeah, uh, I which haven't. I'm somewhat ashamed to say that um, he hey, plays Hugo Strange. He plays Hugo Strange in Gotham, so he plays mm-hmm. a evil scientist, and that works better because the whole show is people going over the top. So it works better when he's doing that. But in the context of this character. That's the other problem when you're doing a reboot, an extension, what have you, a long gestating sequel. You can't just totally change the character that people previously know and not explain why they've had this radical shift, mm-hmm. which I feel like is what they did with this character. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I think it was, it was small enough that like it wasn't one of my uh, bigger problems of the movie in the larger context but like it certainly doesn't make a lot of sense and like i my first thing i said was that like the writing for the movie just i don't know it's 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 not like it's strong suit i I will say that um just if we want to touch on the performances a little bit more before we move on i'd i mean people are pretty down on chris pratt in general because of this and i'd say more more than not i'm more of chris i'm a chris pratt fan i'd say but like i don't want to put too much of that on him like he can only do so much with the character he's given i'd say i guess maybe a better actor could bring more to that character but like i i'm not going to sit here and try and tell you like there's a ton to owen or or claire you know what i mean uh, and that's maybe maybe a, the movie just feels better overall. If like those characters are better written and maybe maybe better acted, I don't know. But they certainly, I wouldn't say they do a ton for me as people. But it's not like they even ruin it for me either. It's just they're kind of there, you know. No, I, I think to a large degree, Chris Pratt is started just playing Chris Pratt. Like I don't know, if there's that much difference between Owen and Star Lord. They're like smarter versions of Andy Dwyer from Parks and Recreation. So I, I don't know that there's that much that he can that he's being asked to do. I think he's working very much in service of, of this machine that he's now part of, the Marvel machine and now the Jurassic Park machine. I don't know that he's there's that again, talking about the, the framework you have to work with, what more can he do 
with this role than what he's doing with smarter it. smarter version of Andy Dwyer is a very interesting statement because Andy Dwyer, Dwyer is one of is one of the dumbest smart, characters. <laughs> a smart version. If Andy Dwyer were smart, or maybe a smart a better, maybe a smart Burt Macklin is one thing because yes. uh, because <laughs> because Andy Dwyer like I have like you and I have more intelligence in our pinkies than like Andy Dwyer. Like everyone is a smarter version of Andy very, Dwyer if you're if, if you're if you're very goofy true. enough. Um, Touche. But, uh, Touche. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I just say there's certainly like in these last couple of movies, like there's definitely not like one. Uh, there's there's not like one human character, like I said, that like brings like a ton to the table in a way that like I'd say just about any mo- most of the characters in like even Jurassic Park do. You know what I mean? Um, in certain ways, and uh, I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm at on them. But I mean, it sounds like I might be a little bit more optimistic about the like, at least the future of the franchise than you, even if I don't think either of us are going to sit out here and call this one of our probably could be calling this our favorite blockbuster of the year when it's all said and done. Um, no, they're just. They, I don't know that they can do much more because look how many times they've tried to make these movies compelling from a human side, and they've yet to really do that. Whereas yeah. we referenced the the Planet of the Apes movies earlier. Those movies all had really interesting human characters that you cared about. Even in, in the last one, you know, Woody Harrelson was—I mean, he was a monster of a character. But they do some interesting but, stuff with him. But it was interesting. It was interesting, and he had his own motives, and he had—he had his own drives. What drives literally any of these characters in the Jurassic Park franchise after the? I mean, after Goldblum's got some drive. Uh, that's pretty much the only well, interesting Cl- one. Well, well, Claire wants to save the dinosaurs after being a capitalist monster in Jurassic World. So right. She, has she just wants to save the dinosaurs, which, oh. again, that's there's not enough to her other than trying to say we're creating some sort of interesting parallel. Oh, she's like what? She's like a futuristic member of PETA. I mean, what, what is what is that really saying? I just don't think they found a way to make the humans interesting enough to play off of the dinosaurs. And also, dinosaurs, Blue is the most intelligent dinosaur. They say... Blue is the most intelligent being ever, the most valuable species ever created. But Blue can't emote the way that the apes and Planet of the Apes can. So yeah. where where are we getting any sort of pull from with these movies? You're really not. Yeah. My, my favorite part of the Apes trilogy is just the stuff with uh, Caesar and Jason Clark in two. Like it's, yeah. so, it's so cool just to see them feel each other out and how that relationship builds. And you don't really have like – like yeah, you, you you get that like Owen's supposed to have this connection with Blue, and I I do enjoy seeing Blue and watching him do, her do some stuff, but like it's just not the same, and I think that probably does put a bit of a ceiling on what they would even be able to do in that human version or that more human dinosaur direct interaction focused version of this movie. I'm saying I would like to see in the sixth one, um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we pretty well covered the movie itself. We got some other stuff uh, I, I want to get to, but I want to ask you because we talked about it a little bit last night while we were uh, planning this out. It sounded like you said you had an interesting theater going experience, and I wanted to share mine as well. And that might end up becoming a segment of this podcast because we 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 did our first episode on Hereditary, and we all talked about like interesting theater going experiences we had within that. So, what made yours a not totally positive in theater experience? Because I have some inter- I have some experiences to share as well. Well, it's just. I think this is part of the problem with having movie pass is that you go to the movies too often to you go to the movies so often you realize there's just a lot of strange people everywhere. now, (laughs) And this is a bigger issue than just movies. People, people don't have manners anymore. Like people don't understand just basic decency. So let me tell you, on Friday, we went to a Friday night show, a 10 30 Friday night show of a, 
PG-13 closer to being R than PG movie, right? Mm -hmm. The last thing I expected was to have at least seven or eight kids under the age of two in this theater. Oh, my God. So from the start, I know this is this is going to be problematic. And, of course, there's multiple kids that will not stop crying. We have one right near us that is wailing and screaming the entire first half of the movie. And there's a, there's a parent there, I, I guess not a very good parent, but <laughs> I want to stop and say, why is your two-year-old at a 1030 movie that is not going to be over until 1 o'clock in the morning? And secondly – once it once your child has started screaming and is a huge disturbance to everyone, why are you not leaving the theater? Like, where did the basic instinct go to remove someone from the theater who is crying and uncontrollable? I, I think it's gone. People don't care anymore. Yeah. So that was a huge issue until someone finally got a manager, and I was debating doing it for the longest time, but someone got a manager. They, they came and said, hey, you need to leave. And this theater, by the way, also has a policy that says you can't have children under two at any show after six o'clock. So there's that going for it also. So you think you're out of the woods. And then halfway through the movie, after this has been resolved, two police officers come into the theater, have a conversation with two people in the middle of a row in the middle of the theater. Oh, God. And then, and then escort them out of the theater for reasons we still don't know. <laughs> but I'm just sitting there like, can we not even go to a movie anymore and just have a normal experience? There's always people creeping around, just freaking you out. And that's the way we have to live now because of things that happen to movie theaters. But I miss being able to go to a theater and just relax and watch a movie without a million rude things going on or sketchy things or what have you. So that, that's the downside of movie pass. You get to go to all these movies and it's cheap, yeah. but you also have to deal with people. Well, I, I, I appreciate your rant, and I think it saved a lot of time off of my rant because I've had some similar issues recently. Did you see Tag? I did see Tag, yes. So I went to an I, I didn't even know it was Radio R before I showed up, So and maybe other people didn't because it seems like an inoffensive enough topic uh, for a mo- or a subject sure. for a movie. Kids play Tag for 30 years. But I went to a 945 Thursday night showing, and there were two toddlers there. And it's a, it's a weird phenomenon that I've only started noticing more recently, actually, like little kids being taken to late movies. And I, to a certain extent, I'm sympathetic about it because, I mean, some people might not be able to afford a babysitter for five hours on top of well, what it costs to go to the movies. But, but, but on top of that – that's, that's what kept me from but, calling the manager. But, I was like, oh, but, maybe he just needs to see the movie. But <laughs> if you're going to do that – and I'm sympathetic to not everyone can afford a, five hours of a babysitter, two movie tickets, everything that right. costs to go to the movie. But if you're going to do that and bring the kid, it's on you to take the kid out once the kid starts making noise. Yes. And as yes. long as you do that, I'm not going to judge you too hard. But there have been too many instances lately where that doesn't happen. Thankfully, like the, the babies were in my, my go-to row in the movie theater is I always sit in the front row that has the bar that you can put your feet on. That's kind of my thing. And, unless I'm in somewhere, unless I'm, That's like my go-to row. And I, I wasn't going to move because of a baby. And luckily, once this guy at Tag saw people come in, he moved, his, he moved with his ba- baby. And he had a friend that I think had a baby with him. They moved into the front front section, which no one likes to sit in. So it was nice of them to at least do that. I don't think they took their baby. One of them did take their kid out during the movie, but that was the whole thing. At Jurassic World, at Fallen Kingdom, I was in, I was sitting next to a 10-year-old girl, and I, I, I couldn't get the, oh my god, I didn't even think about this. I go, go in, and a guy is sitting in my go-to seat at the end of the front row at the bar, with, with his flip-flops <laughs> off. One flip-flop on the seat to his right, another flip-flop on the seat to the other side of that flip-flop, to save those two seats, with his bare feet on the bar. 
Oh, not, that no. I, not that I put my bare feet on the bar. So it's like, and I wouldn't get this guy's germs, but it just doesn't look very sanitary or appealing to have that dealing. So I was already out of my seat that I like to sit in. I had to go about halfway up and sit next to a 10-year-old girl. And I was like, oh, this is going to be embarrassing when I'm more scared of the dinosaurs than her. But that was, <laughs> that, that was not my problem. She was either with her mom or a babysitter who, and they were both on their phone, like texting or looking at stuff for almost the whole movie. And when they weren't looking at the movie, it sounded like the girl was, like, talking in Spanish to the babysitter, maybe. Maybe she was, like, translating. I don't know. But I it was just, like, I asked them at one point, can you please put the phones down? And at that point, I think they did angle them away from me. But it was, like, an <laughs> ongoing thing. And it's just like you said. I, I don't think people can be trusted not to have bad movie-going etiquette. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe we're just – maybe a bunch of, like, 13-year-olds are going to end up listening to this and be like, who are these two old dudes that, like, do it like that, like, who, who, like, are complaining about this stuff? But, like – I don't know. I think it's an expectation you should be able to have when you go to the movies, but it does segue into – and that was just my thing was like I had to deal with the, the talking, the, the phones, and then also a four-year-old kid running up. I was sitting on the far left end of the row. There was a four-year-old kid running up and down the stairs of my row for the whole movie because oh, no. his parents just didn't want to keep him on their laps. So I had to deal with like all of that, and it, it made me think because you mentioned you, you might want to talk about MoviePass a little bit, and I wanted to think of like a way to actually tie that into this podcast overall. And the big news about MoviePass in the last week, aside from like them kind of going back and forth with AMC a little bit about AMC breaking out their own subscription model, and MoviePass is like, oh, you've been the ones that have been like complaining about us all along. It's just because you wanted to do right. it. The other big news is right after MoviePass like got to get off their shots at AMC because of that, the next day they, they, they introduced this peak pricing model. Where they're going to charge people more for movies at like high attendance times, mainly big blockbusters on opening weekend, like the showings that we were at. So it's like I think it's I think it's fairly dis- a fairly disingenuous move by MoviePass because it doesn't cost them more to like for someone to go to that showing. It'd be like you know what I mean like. If those people are going to see the movie, they're going to see the movie, and you're going to end up paying, having to reimburse the same amount for a ticket. So it's just a way for them to squeeze a few extra bucks out of someone that really just wants, can't wait to see the movie. It's not actually costing them more though, if a lot of people want to go right up front, as opposed to like going later in the week if they charge the same for all of the primetime showings. But at the same time, experiences like this they make me like less apt to want to go on opening weekend to something like this because I know I, there's a yeah. higher chance I'm going to have to deal with this bullshit. I don't know if you have thoughts on that specifically or if you had other MoviePass thoughts you want to get off your chest, but that was just like the biggest thought I had when MoviePass dropped that news was that it's like, oh, well, that's kind of a BS policy, but like it might not even affect me that much if I'm going to start trying to avoid the kind of experiences I had when I saw Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, well, my thing with the, the peak pricing is it's just another admission that MoviePass is unsustainable. And I almost feel like it's kind of how I feel about uh, – let's talk about uh, a company you're familiar with uh, being from Philadelphia, Comcast. Yeah. Uh, my, my Comcast has been out constantly this week, right? So my Comcast is out, and they tell me it'll be back in, it'll be back in 30 minutes. And then two hours later, they say it'll be back in three hours. And then three hours later, they say it'll be back tomorrow. If they just told me up front it was going to be back tomorrow, I would have been happier – than being told consistently that it was coming back at a time it wasn't going to come back. It's sort of like with airlines. If the flight's going to be delayed three hours, just tell me it's delayed three hours. Don't tell me it's going to be delayed 30 minutes every 30 minutes six times, right? (laughs) The problem with MoviePass is that inherently it's still a much better deal. And not much better. It's still a better deal than the AMC deal, right? It's nice to know. It's nice to know. It's nice to know the AMC deal will probably be there if and when MoviePass fails, at least. Yes. No, that's true. But the difference is, so while MoviePass is still a better deal, 
AMC is setting an expectation up front that they're probably going to be able to maintain. MoviePass is falling in this trap, especially with, with millennials and with, with Gen Z. You can't give people something and then take it away. Once you set an expectation level, you need to be able to meet it. And MoviePass has just slowly eroded their original model while still publicly claiming that the model is sustainable and the model works. Obviously, it doesn't work. That started when they said you couldn't see the same movie twice. So the idea that you can see any movie, a movie every day for an entire month. There aren't enough movies not, for that. It's not, it's not possible because I'm blacked out of almost every movie right now. I couldn't possibly go to a movie every day in their system if I wanted to. So that's mm-hmm. number one. On top of that, the peak pricing, it's an admission that their model does not work and they need to find a way to generate revenue. And this is a way to do it. And I'm just not – I don't know enough about this and they haven't revealed enough to really give me a clear picture of how fundamentally this is going to change the service. If they're going to tell me up front what is considered peak pricing, well, that I can live with. So, today, if, it's so be like, if it's going to be like Uber, where I only find out if there's a, a peak price when I already went to the theater to see the movie, that's going to drive people away from uh, okay, MoviePass. Okay, so, 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 so today Mitch Lowe, the CEO of MoviePass, did an, a Reddit AMA, and someone actually asked him that. He's, and he said the way in theory is going to work is that you'll, you'll, you'll be able to see when you're at – like beforehand, like you can, you'll be able to check at your house before you even leave your house if they're doing peak pricing on that showtime. So you're not going to show up to the movies and then find that out at least. At the very, at least that so you'll know, you'll know the day of – Yeah, you'll – When you're looking at, at options, you're going to know – if there's yeah. peak pricing. I, I, I don't know how much advance notice they are going to give you, but you'll be able to know, like, if you, if you want to see a 7 o'clock movie, in theory, you're going to know at least at 5 o'clock whether or not that 7 o'clock showing is going to be peak pricing. Okay. So they'll, they'll at least have that. But, like, still, I your, your point still stands a little bit in that it's, like, a little harder to it's, – it's, it, it, like, it's, it's part of the appeal of it is that it makes the movie-going experience so easy. You can show up and be like, oh, which one am I going to see? All right, I'm going to check in and buy right. it. And it, it does add more steps to the process, and it's part of the moving the – like – moving the carrot further away or um, moving the goalposts, if you will, like you were kind of getting at. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm reading right now that they, the uh, Helios and Matheson, which is their parent company, they hit another all-time low today. Their stock price dropped another 15%. Man, I might buy some just, of that stock at this point. Like, it can't, like, it's, 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 it's so cheap on the off chance they do figure their shit out. Like, maybe it's the best time to buy, you know? But how can't, there's, I just, here's the thing. This is when I realized that MoviePass was going to fail. Well, there's been a lot of times everybody's going to fail. But when I figured out, by, I was doing some reading on this, and I never, and maybe this is on me for never putting this together, but, you know, I have subscription. I'm, I'm on, I'm a, uh, you know, a Regal Crown Club member, and yeah. I have the AMC stubs. Because why, if you have MoviePass, why wouldn't you? Well, um, yeah, AMC doesn't let you get subs points anymore, but there are ways to get around that. <laughs> there are ways to get around that, which I don't know if we should reveal that for fear the AMC will figure it out. Yeah, it's I, so easy. I'm going to cut that. Um, I'm going to cut that exchange out. But keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I? No. So the idea that they were going to the reason that MoviePass is going to work is because they've got all of this data, right? That's the same data that Regal Crown Club gets when you check in and go, when you scan your card to go see a movie, it's the same data. It's what movies you're seeing. What can be mined from the fact that I go see every movie that comes out and some indies as well as some blockbusters, what is going to be valuable about that 
data. I don't see the value of that enough to offset their unbelievably high cost. You know, I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe their idea is that theirs will be more accurate if not everyone that uses I – mean, I, I, I think that everyone that uses cares enough about MoviePass cares enough to have a membership at whatever theater they go to. But maybe they think we're going to have more complete data. I hadn't even thought of that, though. Well, it's complete about like, – think about it. If, if you look at my – if what MoviePass knows about me is that this month I saw – won't you be my neighbor? I saw American Animals. I saw Tag. I saw Jurassic World. Like, what did they figure out about me based on the movies I saw? I've seen every different kind of movie. You can't. You can't even make. You can't. You can't. It's hard. About it's, me demographically. Yeah, it's hard. Like, it's, it's harder to do targeted advertisements right, for someone that sees everything. People see everything. So may, what's may, the, well, I mean, movie pass is, value. Movie pass has talked a lot about wanting to grab the occasional moviegoer who, without movie pass, is only going to go to the movies like. 10 times a year, but with MoviePass might go 17 times a year. I don't know if that person actually exists, but that's who they're talking about. And they're saying that person is going to balance out the people like you and me that go see seven movies a month. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much, if there's any truth to that, but maybe the idea is what movies do those moviegoers go to see the most? And we want to focus on targeting things for them. I don't, but like now when you phrase it that way, it does worry me because I've been banking on maybe them actually figuring that out. But now I kind of see what you're saying where it's like how, is, how are they really getting something that's like that valuable? And even if it in theory does have value to have the viewership data, how is it like make it that much different than what someone already gets from like any other movie chain? You know? Right, and then and MoviePass is – then there's this, okay, well, next thing we're going to do is we're going to start making our movies and we're going to invest in movies. So the first example of that was American Animals, which is better than the second example of that, which was Gotti. Oh, did you see Gotti? Was, I did not see oh, Gotti, okay. but I was just – I was so – I was almost impressed the fact that MoviePass was trying to get people to go to Gotti by sending out a push notification that said, <laughs> critics don't like it, audiences love it, see Gotti and decide for yourself. Literally, their push to see the movie was, critics say this is terrible, but you see it and tell us if you would like, I was like, okay. that it was the okay. saddest thing I've Th- ever heard. This might be a really stupid question, but like... Does MoviePass make money if someone goes to see their movie and they have to like reimburse them for it anyway? That's that's the point I was getting to. I realized the other time I realized MoviePass was going to fail was when I thought I thought critically about American Animals, mm-hmm. and which I saw and I, I really enjoyed. But I thought it was actually it was it was much better. It was a much better heist movie than Ocean's Eight was, which I saw a few days later. Huh. Um, but as far as American Animals, so they invest in it and then they pump it right. They push it out. Every time you open the app, that's the that's the trailer that's running. It's got top position on the list of movies. So I go to the theater and I go see American Animals. Movie Pass pays for my fifteen dollar ticket to go see American Animals. Movie Pass is probably getting four of those dollars. So they're still losing money even when I go see their movie. So I just don't see with all these factors, I don't see how they can ever make Money. Yeah, yeah. I, I, be cash flow positive. I was like making jokes about that, like, oh, I, I'm going to keep movie pass in business. I'm doing my part. I, I don't actually care enough about that to go see Gotti, but like I did to go see American Animals. But I was just like, I think their return might be a little more because I don't think movie theaters actually make like a ton of money off of the ticket sales themselves. No, like, you're they, right, they do. They, so I think the stu- I think the stu- I think the studios get a higher percentage, but regardless, they they're losing. They're losing. They're st- movie pass is going to lose the money. Like they're like yes. they're, they're not getting a, a fifteen dollar return on that investment, even if they do, like. In theory, like they're they have so many subscribers now that like a good percentage of those going to see it are going to be the people they're promoting the movie to, and if right. they have to reimburse the th- if they have to reimburse the theater in full for the movie, like 
how much are they're getting even less of a return than a regular studio even if like like you know right. what i mean like even uh, even if a lot of the people going aren't their subscribers like they're still getting a lesser return than another movie would because they are having to reimburse for a lot of the people that are going to it you know what i mean it, it yeah it creates this cycle where any way you slice it they're losing money on every transaction which is why my solution for movie pass so this is actually really interesting i didn't realize this till i just thought about this and i hope it's interesting in my head I hope it's interesting when I say it out loud as it was in my head right now. Go for it. So my thought was the only way that MoviePass survives is to become almost an HMO, right? Where they have their own theaters that you have to go to because then they're getting the concession revenue and they're making the ancillary revenue that they would need to offset the losses they're taking on tickets, do you know where I'm going with this? Right. this I, out I, yet? I see what you're saying. I'm trying to think about but do, it. But, but do you see the where this ultimately goes after I just after I say what that I describe that model? But then at that point, like you're you're where AMC is right now. You're where AMC is right now. Yeah. So that's the answer. The answer to this question is MoviePass inevitably is going to fail for that because they can't do that because they don't have the infrastructure. The only way a subscription service in this business can work is if it is actually through the movie theaters themselves because they have to be able to collect that revenue on top of the tickets to offset the losses. What do you think of MoviePass did a higher price point? Do you think it means that much to their subscriber numbers to be under $10 a month? I mean, because I, 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 I'm someone. I think I, it. I think it does, but it's stupid that it does. Like people who've said, "Oh, if it goes to 15, I'm out." That's it's still, still such a good deal. Less than the cost of and, almost one ticket. And, and the I, independent theater down the street for me is 15 dollars to go see a movie at seven o'clock. Right. So you see two movies, you're still saving money. So that's the thing. Like I AMC, I, AMC is a steal. And for all that AMC said about why they couldn't, why it was unsustainable. AMC twenty dollars a month. You can see unlimited for two, no, no, three, three IMAX movies a week. Yeah, so that's that, that's like what fifty. That's it's like, like twenty dollars. That's like if, if you were to do that, it's like a basically like sixty dollars a week. Like it's like so you could in theory like get two hundred dollars out of them for twenty a month. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Which, which is, is just so weird. Yeah. But it's like I don't know. Fifteen dollars a month would then all of a sudden turn if every single subscriber they had now paid another five dollars a month. That they're up to like around four million subscribers, and then they all pay an extra five dollars a month. I don't even know if another twenty million dollars a month is going to like make them profitable you know what i mean so like i i I like thinking about where that sweet spot might be because like not everyone's like me like i've been i've been a movie pass subscriber for a little over three years now when i got it it was 30 a month for everyone and then in the middle of 2016 they changed it so it was it varied depending on your zip code it went up to like 70 it went it went up to like 70 for new york people i was i was in gainesville at the time it was 45 for me except i think i had a, a a pensacola address on my credit card on it still but it was like 45 a month and i was getting my money back easily on that but i wouldn't expect i understand people like not being able to pay that but like i don't if you can afford 995 a month i think you could afford somewhere in the $15 a month neighborhood and there are a lot of people like if if nothing else i think going down to 10 was good for their brand awareness if nothing else oh, sure. like, i think if they were just more upfront about it instead of doing all these little changes in customer service terms of service all that stuff doing all these changes and getting all this bad pr they're doing for that if they had just been right up front from the get-go after they tried the ten dollar a month thing for seven months they're like look we're, we're sorry we can't we we, we we just won't be able to sustain it if we offer it at this price any longer we hope you will stay with us and see the value in our product but we're gonna have to raise it to fifteen dollars a month if they had just been upfront about that i think there are a lot of people that like 
I had friends that didn't even know about it that were happy to pay 45 a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like I think there are enough people that like like going to the movies enough that like just didn't know what it was before because it had like 20,000 subscribers up until they did the price cut. That right. like I think there are enough people that like see the value in it that like hopefully I think they could retain a good amount of their subscribers that they got from this price cut if they had just gone to 15 and been upfront about everything from the get-go. And I think we're almost past the point of no return. Right, and that's, that's why I made the comparison to like – the flight delays and to my Comcast mm-hmm. situation, um, it's all about setting expectations, and especially with our generation and the generation I guess that's now below us. Um, you you can't put things out and give people great deals and then take them back and expect them not to react negatively. And if MoviePass had been up front and said, "Hey, we tried this. It's really we we it's not going to work. We want to keep offering a service, but we're going to have to do these changes." that would have been better than doing this little by little and just eroding confidence in the brand. Like I don't trust much of anything that Mitch Lowe or Ted Farnsworth say at this point. So they must not have like a good PR department to like coach them. You know, they need to be, they need to be taken no, over. They, they need to be like, they, they need to be taken over. They need to hire a new director of comms. That's just like someone that runs like a college football team's like, like a college football SID. That's just like, don't say anything. <laughs> well, no, exactly. The problem is that the dumbest thing they've done all year was when I think it was Mitch Lowe was the one who was at that conference and said, Oh, we're going to start tracking your location. Even when you're not using the app. Like, and we're don't say that, that, dude. Don't say that, bro. Just, just do it. Yeah. Do it and then give me get, you know, send me do it and give me the coupon to go to Chili's and I'll be like super grateful. Don't tell people. Don't bring up the one thing people are most fearful and sensitive to, fearful of and sensitive to in this moment, which is privacy concerns. Don't put that out there like you're some sort of cartoon villain. Like do what you need to do to make it work, and people will probably be happy if you can continue offering this service. But once he started speaking too much, he was saying, oh, wait, oh, people freaked out. No, we won't do that. We promise we won't do that. There goes another way to make revenue and keep this thing going. So they've really shot themselves in the foot to, to a large degree. Man, I've been telling people about MoviePass for like three years, even before they did the price cut. I've had so many conversations about it, and I've thought about it a lot. And this is like the longest I've probably ever gone in deep on it. And now you've just made me sad. Like I, it's, like, it's, a, it's afforded me a lifestyle that I couldn't previously do, and I don't want it to go away. And now I'm just kind of sad that I, now now you've convinced me it's maybe probably going to die sooner rather than later. Oh no, it's listen, it's for sure going to die. But yeah. I think it's going to be it's going to be in hindsight we're going to look at it as it really it's going to be the unsung hero of movie subscriptions as a concept because listen AMC with the number of movies people like you and me see the AMC deal is going to end up being the best option and it's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. So I think that's inevitably that's where we're going and I'm a little worried $10 about like the month was never sustainable. Yeah, I'm a little worried about it cuz I literally live right across the street from an AMC. Like I can I can like go you see this window behind me if I go and walk out the balcony that I have right there in my apartment. I'm looking at my movie theater basically. And That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, but it's like once I become like an adult and I have to like buy a house or something weird like that, then like I then like I'm not living right next to like an AMC if I'm like equidistant from an AMC or Regal. It's going to be like hard to like commit to one theater when it, like well, that's, and that's what that's why the loyalty factor is why i think that's what amc they're, really get, they're kind of getting at it they're going to build that brand loyalty up right now yeah exactly yeah. but it, but then the problem is that at the same time what about you know we both went to went to uf well gainesville florida has three theaters they're all regals well so i think it, 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 if, 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 if starts theirs that's the thing it's like what incentive do you like 
I don't know if like there are a lot of Regal City. If Regal just has a lot of cities that don't have a big AMC presence, like outside of like major places like New York and LA, like is there that incentive for them to then follow? Are they going to feel enough pressure from AMC if they have a lot of cities like Gainesville where they just have like a monopoly? I don't know. I don't know. They're, I think they're going to Regal is going to have to. Here, here's what's going to. This is why you're going to have to be grateful to Movie Pass, even though they they piss a lot of people off and they have the worst customer service of any company yeah. possibly ever. Yeah. Um, What's inevitably going to happen is Regal is going to start a rival service because they're going to have to to compete. And then Regal and AMC, they can't compete on ticket prices because those are set largely by studios. They have to get their, you know, their nut. So there's going to be competition among the subscriptions between these, between these rival companies. They're going to have to start offering additional perks, better deals, better prices. They'll mm-hmm. compete, and I think ultimately the consumer will win but and it's only going to be because of the model that Movie Pass helped create. I just don't think Movie Pass is going to be around to, to see it. It's a shooting through. star that burned really bright, I guess, and, yes. and just kind of movie, went out. Movie Pass, Movie Pass is Icarus, but everyone, yeah. but people get something out of it instead of Icarus just dying. Do you do you, do you have uh, do you have any uh, big quick thoughts? Two minutes on American Animals. Two minutes on American Animals. Um, I really I really enjoyed the way that they did. I thought it was really unique the the docu drama style. Where, because it was, it's such a crazy concept to think that it was a real story. Having the actual real life guys spliced in there, kind of serving as an unreliable extra narrator, I found mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, just, I like the way that they did that. I know the the director of it is, it was his first, I guess you'd call it a feature. But previously, Bartley. he had done. He had done documentaries, mm-hmm. so I like the melding of a documentary and a, and a and a feature as well. So I thought that was an interesting way to do it. I thought it was very intense. The music was great. Uh, style-wise, I thought they made a lot of interesting choices. And from a, it was, it was filmmaking bravado. It was it was a lot of flexing in terms of look at what we just did with this shot, right? I mean, I thought from that standpoint. It had a lot of in, the, the cinematography was really fascinating, and I thought the production was really cool. So I thought it was it was, it was a, a very impressive little movie. It was more than I expected from it, um, and the fact that it was all a true story and they stayed relatively close to the actual real events, I thought was very well done. You know, I agree with everything you just said about the filmmaking. I just wanted a little more from those characters. You know, instead I feel like it got really bogged down in the, like just like focusing on the fact that these were just like really privileged white kids that like weren't as special as they thought they were going to be. And then it's like, all right, we're bored. Let's go commit a crime. And I just think I I had trouble like ultimately connecting with that. If I had like spent more time with them, maybe individually learning their motivations, I might've cared more. And I really like a lot of those actors. I like Evan Peters. Mm -hmm. Um, Barry Keoghan had a huge year last year between uh, Dunkirk and killing of a sacred deer and Blake Jenner. Like I really like from everybody wants some in edge of 17. Like I think Mm -hmm. that those three guys, like they're all like really good young actors, but it was just like, it just felt like some like really privileged white kids that got sad and didn't know what to do with themselves. And I, I had trouble getting past that, but as much as I respected the fact that like, it was a very unique way to tell a heist movie. And like, I agree with you on saying it did the heist elements probably better than oceans eight did. Yeah. And, um, I have very complicated thoughts on Ocean's 8, which I talked about <laughs> in my latest episode because, like, I've seen Ocean's 11 more than, like, any movie ever. It's one of my favorite movies. And, like, so I had, like, a lot of complicated feelings on that. But, like, I didn't like how they pulled off the heist in that. And I thought this was more interesting. But at the same time, I had watched rewatched Ocean's 11 
and then I watched Ocean's Eight. And the, the, the heist was too easy for them in Ocean's Eight. It was like too, way too yeah, much of it was too easy. And there was all the little things that had to happen for them to get in a position to do that heist, like were too implausible. But it was still all too easy and they, for them. And now I saw like these people being absolutely terrible at doing the heist. And right, but it was real. In, but it, in American but it felt real. And I guess little, it was real, but it was just like you guys are so stupid. Things they were so dumb, but it's the little things that most people probably wouldn't think about because it's how many people could effectively pull off a major heist, but they thought it was easy because they watched a bunch of movies. <laughs> I thought it was, an, I, I, I agree with you. I think they needed to maybe dig a little deeper into their motivations. And like, the only thing I really got from that on a, on a bigger picture level was the idea that everyone's special. And because they thought that they were meant for greater things and they weren't happening they had to go do something crazy to unlock their greatness. And <laughs> even the, the main character. Um, but it's like, what, what is he, if it's like, what is that greatness supposed to be? You know what I mean? Said, well, you know, if, if I'm going to be a great artist, I have to, you know, every great artist had some huge thing in their life. I have to, <laughs> I have to go cops. I have to be interesting. So I thought, I thought it was, it was, it was definitely unique that they settled on that as the way that they were going to make themselves special. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I didn't know that it, it made quite as profound a statement as it wanted to on like the state of, of the, the American teenager or and, the American and like, and like group American and, millennial and like ma- ma- young male group pack mentalities. And right. I, some right. people have read a lot into it on that kind of level. And it was just hard for me to get past like their initial motivations. But I really agree. Like I, I sometimes I, I find unreliable narrators annoying, but I like the way they framed it. And some of the stuff they did was actually pretty cool. Where it's like th- that guy's like, oh, I remember him wearing a blue scarf or it was purple. And like they, they had some weird sleight of hand stuff with like the right. camera work they right, do with that right. kind of. And I, I, I almost wanted like more of that stuff. And like, like they, they initially try the heist and it doesn't like work out because of some circumstance I'm not remembering. And like there's like a long stretch there where I'm not really sure what was going on when they were trying to figure it out. I almost wanted more of them just like telling their competing stories and then like figuring out who yeah. to believe. And like, I, 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 I thought that part of it was interesting. I just like wanted to connect with the characters a little more than I did. But yeah, I don't know. I got excited going into that movie because I was like, I saw everything that was so bad about Gotti, and I was like, oh, like, well, this is cool. Maybe Movie Pass actually has like a good eye for like, for, <laughs> for like quality of cinema. And hey, like, a lot of people seem to like this movie. Maybe they do. But now it's like, even if they do, because of everything we just talked about, I don't know if it actually like ultimately helps them much at all in the long run. Like, whatever. So it may, it may not help Movie Pass so much, but I, it was a good movie. It was, it was. A, I, I appreciated the movie. So if nothing else, it, it did accomplish that. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a ton else to say about it, but I was curious to get your initial thoughts because I hadn't really talked to any, I didn't, hadn't talked to anyone else that had seen it other than one friend that texted me today and she, my friend Kimberly, she texted me, she's like, drop everything and go see American Animals. I was like, well, I already did. So I know, I, I know she really liked it, but I was curious to like at least get someone else's thoughts on it. But um, yeah, man, I think I've taken up way too much of your time already, but I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you like going deep on this stuff like you did. And um, it's good to know that you're going to a lot of movies these days. Cause I mean, I, I know people have movie pass, but it sounds like you're like going almost as much as I do. So it's cool to know there are other people out there that I can maybe call on if I need someone to discuss a movie with. Um, yeah, we are, we are burning up the movie pass. If it, if it's going out, we're going get, out in a, in a blaze of glory with it. So. Get it while it lasts for sure. Yes. I said that my first, when we, when we did my first podcast on hereditary, like Richard did a whole thing about movie pass at the beginning too. Cause he had just gotten in and all of a sudden started going a lot. He's like, I got to I got to I got to do it while I can. And I'm like, yep, that's pretty much what you got to do. Um, but yeah, did uh, did you have any other thoughts on anything before we sign off just that I forgot to touch on on any of these movies I, or movie pass? I think we I think we hit everything. I think we covered everything. All right. Well, like I said, Believe it or not, 
I, yeah. I, I, re- I rarely run out of things to say, but I, I think I am. Uh, I think I am maxed out on, well, on, on these topics. Well, I kept you. I kept you for like thirty minutes. I hope your girlfriend's not mad at me since uh, <laughs> I guess you were trying to evacuate your living room. I guess, and I kept I kept you there for thirty minutes past when you said you need to be out of it. But before we go, do you have any? Uh, I, I, I like letting people plug stuff. Do you want to plug your Twitter or any of your other ventures or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, check me on Twitter at Adam D Schick. I, I uh, go on blast on these things occasionally. I was last night uh, on a, a little bit of a, a rant about Double Dare, maybe not being as good as I thought it was <laughs> some, growing up. Some very niche rants, I guess. Yes, but uh, yeah, but if, other than appearing on this podcast, uh, if you're interested in Gator sports, you can listen to the official podcast of the Florida Gators that I do, which is called the Gator Tales Podcast. And I'm also working on a sports marketing podcast. If you're interested in that business and hearing from uh, really high-level executives and CMOs and CEOs that have helped uh, change the face of the sports entertainment business as we know it today, and that is called Melt Presents The Struggle Is Real. Hmm. And uh, both of those are on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts and on iTunes and uh, all those good places that you can listen to podcasts. So. Yeah. And as usual on Twitter, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. And the bulk of my Twitter followers are like probably people I know from going to UF or people that still follow me back from my UF media days. So it's actually like a relevant cross-section for what you just promoted <laughs> or any, anyone that I send this to on Twitter. So I think actually more so like usually I'm just like, hey, friend that's doing the podcast with me, promote your Twitter. And then there might not actually be like a big cross-section between like any of my people that follow me and then like what they do. And I actually think a few of the people that like might see me promoting this podcast might actually care about Gator Sports. So definitely check out Adam's uh, podcast. It, he does. It sounds like he does a lot of interviews with relevant Gator sports figures, and you might like uh, hearing from them. So Scott Strickland uh, coming up this week. A 40-minute 40, uh, 40 end-of-year review with Scott Strickland. It uh, was really interesting. Really, Scott Strickland's a great guy. He's very down-to-earth and uh, really and, enjoy talking to him. And apparently more technologically savvy than maybe other SEC commissioners. So, uh, SEC 80s, yes. He, he called me on FaceTime audio and said, how many other <laughs> SEC ADs do you think know how to use FaceTime audio? And I said, I don't, I don't think any. There you go. Well, Adam, again, thank you for joining me. I hope at some point in the next few months uh, another movie might catch your fancy and you'll join me again. Absolutely. Would love to. All right. Uh, And uh, we'll see you on our next episode. I uh, thank you guys for listening to this one. I think probably the next podcast we'll have coming out after this was probably going to be on the Sicario sequel, which I am Soldado. They've had like four different names. I think now it's (laughs) it's like Sicario 2 Day of the Soldado. So hope you'll tune into that. And thanks for listening.